¿Estás listo para convertir tus mejores ideas en un negocio en línea exitoso? Te presentamos Shopify. Tal vez no lo sabías, pero nuestro podcast More Than Mummies es un negocio. Y lo comenzamos, por supuesto, para desahogarnos y hablar sobre la maternidad, no para convertirnos en expertas de ventas y del e-commerce. Así que sí, necesitábamos ayuda para vender nuestro merch y poner en marcha nuestra tienda. Por eso estamos tan contentas de usar Shopify. Regístrate con tan solo un dólar por mes en shopify.com barra sonoro, todo en minúsculas. Ve a shopify.com barra sonoro para llevar tu negocio al siguiente nivel. Shopify.com barra sonoro. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers easy get constant contact constant contacts award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out stay top of mind and see big results fast constant contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and sms marketing social media posting and even events management with constant contact you'll reach new audiences Grow your customer list and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I'm a small business owner and I believe that this is a great tool for other small business owners. In small businesses, you need to create a team. And if you're starting by yourself, Constant Contact can be the team that you need. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by the 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com So we were 100 clicks out from the poll and I thought, yes, we've done it. I won't have to do this again and we're nearly there. And then the ice started to break up. We hear the ocean groaning, a dark, still menace that cracks and shifts the ice beneath our feet. This ice was melting four months before it ever had melted, and it was terrifying. That, for me, was the beginning of saying, this is happening. Welcome to the Global Goals Cast, the podcast that explores if we can change the world. This episode is the second in our green mini-series that we're airing from Water Day to Earth Day to Ocean Day. The whole series is about polar explorers Robert and Barney Swan, father and son. Wait a second, I thought that was my line. I know, and I stole it from you. So today, we're focusing on Earth Day. I'd like to ask you, Claudia, where on the Earth are you? Where on Earth I am, exactly. Well, I just landed to Hong Kong, where I am recording in a studio with a sound engineer called Mountain. And I just landed from <laughs> Chengyu, where I was visiting the pandas that now remind me of the fragility of our Earth. There's only 2,200 pandas left in the world. Out of 30,000 a couple of years ago, a good reminder that we have to take care of our planet in Earth Day. As we mentioned in episode one, we feature Rob and Barney Swan not just because their story is like watching a movie, 
also because what they talk about links us to so many of the issues that we deal with for Earth Day and that we talk about in general on the Global Goals cast. This time around, we're going to hear about how NASA measured the changes in the ice caps. And we're going to hear from Jonathan Shanklin, the man who discovered the hole in the ozone. And we're going to get to know Barney. Barney is Robert's son. But before we do that, we have to get Robert off the South Pole where we left him last time. When we were finishing the last episode, Rob had arrived at the South Pole and moments later found out that his ship had sunk. He should have been reveling in the tremendous achievement, 90 days of trekking across the ice, snow on some of the most dangerous terrain on Earth to get to the South Pole. But instead, Edie, Robert stood there thinking about how he was going to get everyone home, the fact that he was now $1.2 million in debt, and still with a base to clean up back in Cape Evans. 900 miles away, John Elder, a crew member on the Southern Quest, played the last post on his trumpet, watching as the Southern Quest sang. I didn't know what to do. All I knew was that I'd lost a ship. I had 25 people standing on an iceberg. I had three people at the South Pole that all looked like somebody forgot to have buried us. And I'd made commitments to leave Antarctica as clean and tidy as possible. Contrary to the promises he'd made to famous explorers like Jacques Cousteau, Rob wasn't leaving Antarctica clean and tidy. With no ship, he had no idea how to get the hut, the radio tower, oil drums, and everything else back to the UK. The US government, by the way, offered to bulldoze everything into the ocean and help extract the crew. But for Rob and the rest of the team, that was completely out of the question. It was expedition member Gareth Wood that provided the solution. After nine months wintering over and 70 days walking to the South Pole, Gareth offered to winter over again, acting as a caretaker. Rob admits that he knew there was a possibility he might get back to the UK and conveniently forget about the mess. But by leaving the crew members there, he would have to come back. Rob has incredible timing. He was there at the same time the South Pole hit the news. Recently, scientists discovered a weak spot in the ozone layer over Antarctica. Time-lapse satellite pictures have confirmed the annual appearance of the massive hole. Chlorofluorocarbons, known as CFCs, are causing the problem. This really marks the first time human beings on one side of the planet have done something to the planet that has significantly affected it globally. I remember that time so well. I actually went to Australia that year, and the hole in the ozone layer was very big news in the Southern Hemisphere. Do you remember? It was a huge news in Mexico, too. The ozone layer has been monitored at British Antarctic Survey research stations for over 50 years. And we spoke to John Shanklin, who was involved in that shocking discovery in 1985. The ozone layer occurs high in the atmosphere above us, what it does is it blocks the shortest wavelengths of ultraviolet light from coming through to the surface. And it's those wavelengths that can do damage to microorganisms and the like. It does allow some longer wavelengths through, and those are the wavelengths that can give us sunburn, 
And if we get too much of them, then we get um, perhaps cataract in our eyes or skin cancer. And obviously when there's less ozone, there's more of those wavelengths and that increases the risk of damage to people. One of my first jobs when I joined the, the Antarctic Survey was to process ozone observations that had been made in the Antarctic and had all been written down on paper. And as we worked back through a backlog, it became a little bit suspicious that we were seeing quite low ozone levels. And eventually I worked back through all the missing data and was able to show that there was a systematic decrease in the amount of ozone above our Halley station. John, along with two other scientists, Joe Farman and Brian Gardner, had made one of the biggest scientific discoveries of the 20th century. The initial reaction, I think, was one of shock. Really, in the space of little over a decade, we went from it being barely detectable to over half the ozone layer disappearing. And as a consequence of this very rapid change, I think that focused the minds of the politicians. And today, every single member of the UN has signed up to the Montreal Protocol. And that treaty really is working. We can see the amount of chlorofluorocarbons and other ozone-destroying substances in the atmosphere going down. And we can also see the beginnings of a recovery in the Antarctic. If we'd kept going with the business-as-usual scenario, there would be two consequences. One for the ozone layer, and we would probably, by the middle of this century, effectively have an ozone hole covering the entire planet. And the other is in terms of climate change. The CFCs are very active greenhouse gases, and they contribute to global warming. Back to Rob now. I had to go and rescue those people. I had huge debts, 1.2 million US dollars in personal debt. It, it was just a nightmare. I realized that if we did not pull something round, we would just be seen as a failure. And I don't like that word very much. It's never been part of my vocabulary. Nine months after completing the South Pole trek, he turned to Giles Kershaw, one of the most accomplished pilots in Antarctic aviation, who came up with a James Bond-style mission. Sounds like something Robert would get right into. Right? I know. Kershaw had been the one who rescued Robert's Cessna airplane by taking off from an ice floe shortly before the Southern Quest sank. He now hatched a plan to fly a twin-order airplane the 4,000 miles needed to get in and out of Antarctica. They would fly from Punta Arenas in Chile to the Antarctic Peninsula and across the barrier to Cape Evans. I feel like I'm becoming an expert of planes of Antarctica. <laughs> but the plane would need refueling, and that came with help from the Chilean government, who placed 120 barrels of aviation fuel in a small hut. Mead continent. So Rob admits this was another totally crazy plan. Sitting on the runway in Chile, carrying hundreds of gallons of fuel, Giles at the control, and Rob almost passing out from literally breathing aviation fuel fumes, facing yet more risk, failure, and even death. 
During the flight, Rob got a sense of the magnitude of Antarctica. He actually said that if he had seen it by air before the expedition, maybe he would have never had the heart to attack it by foot. 14 hours after leaving Chile, they landed on the sea ice next to the base. They dismantled the hut, refueled the plane, and then, with Gareth, Steve, and Tim safely on board, flew the 14 hours back to Chile, pausing for another refuel on the way. The mission was crazy, but it worked. And Rob got his team back home. But that was only half of the promise fulfilled. Now Rob turned to his friends at Greenpeace, who cleaned up the kit from the base and, in their words, polished the stones at Cape Evans. After the footsteps of Scott expedition, Rob floundered. He wasn't sure what to do with his life. He was in debt, and he admits he was drinking too much. Guess who he turned to for advice? The actor that played his hero, Scott. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. The fledgling friendship with her Sir John Mills. He's pimple from the South Pole. Check out what happened. And I said, Johnny, look, I owe 1.2 million. And he said, well, Robert, there's only one way out. I will teach you how to speak in public. So he started me with this horrible mirror routine where you had to look yourself in the mirror and speak about anything for a minute. Hold your own eyes and not hate your voice and not hate yourself. And one day you'd find yourself talking about peeling an orange or something completely pointless and you'd realise that you connected with yourself and you didn't dislike yourself as much anymore. And he gave me lots of other tips and it was down to him that without being arrogant I had become one of the top public speakers in the world, thanks to Johnny Mills. Always humble, our Robert. Edie, you train people how to speak in public. Do you use mirrors and peeling oranges? I don't know what the orange is about, but I use the second generation of the mirror and it's called an iPad. Ha! Rob went on to tour the world talking about his adventures. When he started, he just wanted to pay off that $1.2 million debt. But as time went on, he started to notice a pattern in the questions coming from the audience. We're talking 32 years ago, so words like environment, climate change, global warming, they didn't exist. And as I went around starting to learn how to speak with John Mills's help, I began to realize that people were listening and saying, well, what about this hole in the ozone layer, Rob? If he had the spark to protect the environment in Antarctica, it was now a small flame that led to Rob's next adventure. Supported by the UN Environment Department, he started to plan Ice Walk, an expedition to the North Pole. This trip aimed to increase international awareness and action about what was happening to the poles. So the North Pole was eight of us from seven nations, and we had 22 young people from 15 different nations at the base camp starting to make educational programs about this issue for young people. 4.30, Monday afternoon, March the 20th, the day of departure. I feel that numbness descending again like a blanket, as it did when I walked away from Scott's hut and headed for the South Pole. 
It's like a recurring nightmare. Once again, that awful fear of failure. Once again, that desolate expanse of ice ahead of me. Once again, that terrible, terrible cold. The moment of departure. It was the most lonely moment of my life. More pain, more fear of failure that he faced during the footsteps of Scott. I do wonder, why does he put himself through this? Robert is now inspired by more than just personal adventure and ambition. Unlike the South Pole walk, there is a bigger force pushing Robert to do this now. And as he nears the North Pole, Rob encounters an environmental change that cements his purpose. So we were 100 clicks out from the pole and I thought, yes, we've done it. I won't have to do this again and we're nearly there. And then the ice started to break up around us when we were 642 miles away from land. We hear the ocean groaning, a dark, still menace that cracks and shifts the ice beneath our feet. This ice was melting four months before it ever had melted, so we couldn't plan it. And it was terrifying. I think probably the most frightening moments of my life because the noise of the Arctic ice cap melting is screaming. It's just a dreadful noise all round us. One night, floating on an ice floe in his tent, the sound of screaming ice echoing around him, Rob seriously contemplated if the expedition to the North Pole could carry on and if they would even make it back alive. Of course, it wouldn't be Rob if he didn't make promises to protect the planet when he thinks he's going to die. He does speak compellingly about our planet's deteriorating health and he always keeps his promise. That, for me, was the beginning of saying, this is happening. And it reinforced in me that sense that we were in a survival situation and that we should be doing our very best about that. Remember that while Antarctica is ice on top of a landmass, the Arctic is just ice with ocean underneath. So they were going to have to walk miles around the breaks into the ice called Leeds to get to the North Pole. Monday, April the 10th. Another desperate day. We encountered a large open lead of water and had to travel 24 hours to find a crossing point, a dangerously thin bridge of moving slushy ice. There was a mile of freezing ocean below us. We had to be careful. Everyone was feeling the strain. The weather is warming too quickly. These open leads of water may soon prove to be our biggest obstacle. But they continued on. Sometimes they had to stumble on their hands and knees across ice ridges in order to avoid the leads that were a mile deep. At 3.30 in the morning, local time, on the 14th of May, 1989, by the way, that's my 19th birthday, the expedition made it to the North Pole, and they proudly raised the flag of the United Nations. Well, we've done it then. Yeah. 
There have been many studies looking at the length of time the Arctic spends melting versus the time the ice grows. And Edie, we know that over decades, there is a clear trend that the length of the season that ice grows is getting shorter and shorter. And I spoke to NASA about this. Are you impressed with that? Yeah, yeah, I'm very, very impressed. I introduced it to them. Okay, I forgot about that part. Okay, <laughs> the NASA Ice Bridge Project, as you know, Claudia, is measuring climate change in both the northern and the southern hemisphere. Nathan Kurtz has such a cool job. He flies over Greenland and Antarctica, measuring the thickness of the sea ice with some instruments called gravimeters and laser automaters. He started out using radar to see if there were oceans underneath the ice on Europa, one of Jupiter's moons. And now he looks at the oceans under the Earth's ice. Operation Ice Bridge is part of a story that grabbed the world's attention last November. The Larsen Sea ice shelf capped a massive iceberg. It's about the size of Delaware. And so we were able to fly over it and get the first glimpses from close up. This thing had just broken off and this mm. floating ice island is gonna be heading out and all of this ice has now contributed to the raising of, of sea level. And those changes are hard to comprehend. It takes 360 gigatons of ice loss to give a one millimeter sea level rise. And so over the period from around uh, 1992 to 2011, one study has, has shown a ice loss from West Antarctica of 65 gigatons per year and from the Antarctic Peninsula of 20 gigatons per year, whereas East Antarctica is gaining about 14 gigatons per year. That means that Antarctica is contributing some percentage of the total increase in sea level. So about half of the sea level rise that is observed is due to thermal expansion of the oceans, and the other half is from loss of places like Antarctica, Greenland, and various mountain glaciers. When you do the math, Antarctica is losing ice, and that is contributing to sea level rises. And that sea level rise is impacting us all. We heard from the people in Fiji in the first of this miniseries. Part of the reason that it's difficult to talk about is that it isn't simple science. It literally takes rocket scientists to work out what's happening. We, as scientists, want to get a handle on all the different processes which are contributing to the, the ice change and, and how much ice or water is going out to the, the ocean. And so this surface melting and, and where the water goes after it melts on the surface, there's a, I mean, it's essentially a, a big unknown. Um, how much of the water that melts is, is going out to the ocean? Um, how much stays locked in the, the ice sheet itself? And then when that happens, how does this contribute to uh, our knowledge of, say, the, the physics of the ice sheet behavior? And that'll allow us to better predict uh, how the ice is, is gonna behave over things like the next century. It's awe-inspiring to be on the plane and, and witness these these strange places on Earth, just strange and strangely beautiful that uh, do have an impact on us as people. Things like the the ice moving out to the ocean has a has an impact on on people. Have you seen those pictures captured by Operation Ice Bridge? They are stunning, and they are on our website. And they literally depict what we're trying to tell. We left Robert raising the blue flag of the United Nations at the North Pole 
on Edie's birthday. The job was done. I became the first person in history, let's be honest, stupid enough to walk to both poles. That's when Jacques Cousteau came in and said, hey, by the way, Rob, here's a 50-year mission. Help save Antarctica. Rob didn't know it at the time, but all those turning points in his life, seeing the Scott of Antarctica film, age 11, finding the Scott journals at university, making a pact with the polar gods at the ends of the earth, meeting John Mills, all building towards this moment. And so began Robert's mission to save Antarctica. He established the 2041 Foundation, which is dedicated to the goal of preserving the last great wilderness on Earth. Since 1998, Robert has taken nearly 4,000 young people from over 100 nations to Antarctica. 2041 is about inspiring young people to be better leaders so that when they're in positions of power in 2041, they make better decisions that will preserve Antarctica and the rest of the planet. 2041 is the year when the Antarctic Treaty comes up for renewal. The fate of the last great wilderness on Earth will be decided then. In 1994, Rob became a father to Barney. And we will hear a lot more from Barney in episodes three and four. Exactly, and this deep paternal bond spurred him on even more. There, there was the future in front of me, and it really inspired me that all that we were doing was the right way forward because Barney would inherit whatever we left. You have categories when you refer to storms in with nautical things. So you have uh, 1 to 12, 12 being like a hurricane, um, code black, and 1 being just calm waters and, and all very easy, you know, no wind basically. And my father's always been somewhere between about 9 and 12 on the scale. He was constantly on the move when I was a, a child. And I think it was always a little bit abstract, to be honest, what he did between the planes and the, the backpack and the, the various antics and the pursuits and the lectures. I didn't, I didn't really ever connect with that. That was Barney, Robert's son. In his early years, Barney wasn't aware of his dad's adventures. But that changed when he got older. It was through those early memories of us traveling around, going on holidays, skiing, rock climbing, doing lots of kayaking together, long hikes, lots of camping. That's where I really started to connect with him and everything that he represented in regards to the outdoors. Barney spent his early years living off-grid with his mom and stepfather in Australia. He described these years as being instrumental in the development of his curiosity to explore and respect nature. Barney had his first encounter with Antarctica by boat when he was seven. In 2012, Barney went again, and it was this trip that opened his eyes and his heart to the work that his dad has been doing and the part that he himself could play in its future success. He opened the door to come down to Antarctica and I walked through it and and realized there was a whole world there for me to explore and that's where it started. It's led to Barney working with his dad on tangible ways to clean up CO2 emissions, working on reforestation projects, algae farms, microgrid systems and waste management. 
Do you remember our friends at NASA's Operation Icebridge? Well, it turns out Robert and Barney also connected with NASA. And this led to the ultimate in father and son bonding. Here's Rob talking about it at the top of the Schatzalp in Davos with you and me. We really respect NASA. And unfortunately, I took Barney, which I shouldn't have done, <laughs> to a meeting with NASA. And they said, Rob, the edges of Antarctica now are disintegrating much faster than even the most pessimistic people thought they might. We've all heard of the Larsen B ice shelf 15 years ago, which broke off, and the Larsen C ice shelf broke off very recently. And they said to us, why is no one taking this seriously, Rob? And rather rudely, I said, probably because you're being a bit boring about it. Well, I thought, great, you know, we can do a little talk and, you know, do a few things. And Barney turned to me and he said, Dad, it's time we did something. And I said, yeah, yeah, we're trying. He said, no, no, it's time you walked again to the South Pole. And this time we should undertake our journey only on renewable energy. And I remember sort of shrinking in the car thinking, do I really have to do this again? Uh, at the age of 61, it's not something that people should do. And Barney convinced me that together as the millennial generation and the older generation, we need to join together. And this required a huge effort because we would be pioneering using renewable energy to melt snow and ice into hot water, which has never mm. been done before, especially on the move in the Antarctic. Throughout Robert's life, he has taken on some crazy expeditions. Now, he committed himself to yet another one. The South Pole Energy Challenge was born. Rob Barney and their companions Martin Barnett and Kyle O'Donoghue hatched a plan to walk the 600 miles to the South Pole. 28 years ago, I hung up my skis on the wall from the North and South Pole and left them there and thought, I'll never have to walk to the poles again. Then I thought, what am I best known as? Is the person that walked to both poles? But things have stepped up a bit. Um, that in a way, Antarctica is sending us an SOS. Save ourselves, save our souls. So. We are making this journey to try and help people understand that it is not that complicated to change the way that they are using their energy. Robert is a real campaigner who cares deeply about what's happening to our world. And we will follow the South Pole Energy Challenge expedition in our next episode. Before we tell you what's coming up next time, we're going to link to what we've heard in the story of the swans to facts and actions linked to Earth Day. Claudia, how are we going to make our listeners sound smart to their mother-in-laws tonight? Fact number uno. Data from NASA shows that the land ice sheets in both Antarctica and Greenland have been losing mass since 2002. Both ice sheets have been melting and accelerating since 2009. Fact two, the ozone hole is still there. Last year, 
It was measured to be two and a half times the size of the United States. And it won't be gone until at least 2060 or 2080. And even then, there might still be a small hole. And the last fact comes from John Shanklin. Although it may sound less of a problem, global warming is actually one that will affect everybody on the planet. But it takes a much longer time scale to occur as compared to the ozone hole. It'll be over 100 years before the changes in temperature become really apparent to everybody that they are bad for us. And by then, of course, it will be too late. And now for our actions. According to NASA, September Arctic sea ice is now declining at a rate of 13.2% per decade. So action one is check the NASA link that we're giving on our action button to see the variation in the Arctic ice from 1979 on. Action two is committing to make a change in your own carbon emissions. Ride your bike when you can avoid cars. And if you must drive, share the journey with others. And if you're feeling really brave and you know how to snorkel or scuba dive, join our partner One Young World's Ambassador Susan Eaton for a snorkel relay of the 3,000-kilometer Northwest Passage. The Sedna expedition is looking for women to study the impacts of disappearing sea ice in the Arctic, combining scientific investigations with Aboriginal knowledge to document climate change and ocean change. Visit EarthDay.org, join EarthDay Network, and be part of the world's largest environmental movement. Before we say goodbye, do not forget to join us next time as we follow Robert back to the South Pole, this time with his son Barney. It's been 32 years since Robert voyaged into the icy wilderness in the footsteps of Scott. I literally have been waiting for you to say voyage into the icy <laughs> wilderness since the last episode. <laughs> and just to make an already difficult challenge even harder, the expedition planned to survive solely on renewable energy. We've got the audio diaries that make for compelling listening, and I cannot wait to share them with you, our dear listeners. If you want to make sure you don't miss that or any of our episodes, subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Global Goalscast for all the latest news and developments. And that was Iri Lodge in London, and I am Claudia Romo Edelman from Hong Kong. And this is the Global Goalscast. Thanks to Harmon, the official sound of Global Goalscast. Music in this episode was by Andrew Phillips, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Crone, Amy Edwards, and Ashish Pillowal. We would also love to thank our new partners, Unleash and Eunice Social Business, for joining Global Goalscast as we continue spreading awareness about the SDGs and sharing inspirational stories to showcase the progress towards their achievement. You can find a full list of our partners at globalgoalscast.org. This podcast is powered by CBS News Digital. The struggle is real, and we know that firsthand being daughters of hardworking immigrants. That's why on La Lucha is Real podcast, hablamos un poquito de todo. Somos Angel and Edith, long-term best friends who have authentic conversations, giving us space to be vulnerable without judgment because La Lucha is real. 
We want all of our amigos who listen to us to feel a part of the conversation and feel empowered to become a better version of themselves. A veces bromeando y a veces llorando, pero siempre mejorando. La Lucha Is Real podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts.